Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for thee in this eternal now. It's never a wrong time to talk about Gaiman, Morrison, or more, and how their work is just sigil sorcery and the opening of mystical portals. Artist, practitioner, and scholar Kay Briggs materialized at the Virtual Alexandria to discuss all of this as well as our insights on tarot, speculative design, and alternative histories. She also shared her fantastic art that goes straight to the heart of the imaginal, and certainly stellar advice on how to access your inner artist. As a cool bonus, Graham Pong, who's been in the comic industry for about 40 years and is an esotericist extraordinaire, joined us. Don't go anywhere in the Kenoma after this. Next week, we have a regular but electric podcast on Sophia, the deep Christ and the divine spark within, and how to access it. Pure red meat Gnosticism for ya, with a fantastic guest. Thank you to those of you who support this Red Pill Cafeteria. I can't do it without you. You are amazing and your backing company and feedback make this show happen in the Black Iron Prison. We need Gnosis more than ever in this age of Hermes, Philip K. Dick World and Gnostic Times, and the end of the damn Kali Yuga. 
Expect more violence, wars, rising addiction and suicide rates, mass depression, and societal collapse until more look inward while breaking the outward spell of Yaldibaldi and his Epstein angels. You will not find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or many of my guests and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Access your imagination and don't let the Archons invade the imaginal. In other words, write your own gospel and live your own myth. Then everything is possible and will manifest. Human beings make life so interesting. Do you know that in a universe so full of wonders, they have managed to invent boredom? Quite astonishing. You're saying that humans need fantasies to make life bearable? No. Humans need fantasy to be human. To be the place where the falling angel meets the rising ape. With tooth fairies, hogfathers. Yes. As practice, you have to start out learning to believe the little lies. So we can believe the big ones? Yes. Justice, mercy, duty, that sort of thing. They're not the same at all. You think so? Then take the universe and grind it down to the finest powder and sieve it through the finest sieve and then show me one atom of justice, one molecule of mercy. And yet, you try to act as if there is some ideal order in the world, as if there is some, some rightness in the universe by which it may be judged. But people have got to believe that. What's the point? You need to believe in things that aren't true. How else can they become? Welcome, everybody, and we are live here at Aeon Byte on this Thord, Thor Day, or you might say Jupiter Day, for those of you in the Latin countries. Welcome, everybody, and so excited to see everybody. I already see people running into the chat room, and yes, tonight we will be talking about a uh, favorite of A.M. Byte, a favorite of so many of you, and that is, of course, comic books and magic, that intersection, that wonderful mythical intersection and psycho-spiritual place close to the imaginal or sometimes right at the heart of the imaginal. My name is Miguel Connor, and I am your Pompadus of Gnosis. And tonight, we are very excited to have as a guest, Briggs. Briggs, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure is all ours. And we also have as well the man himself, the... We have Graham Pong, also known as the non-guru of Gonzo. Graham, how are you? doing very good, Miguel. I'm looking forward to getting a uh, peek behind the veil of the uh, Briggs' uh, creative process. Indeed. Yeah, your voice was good before the interview. Now it sounds like kind of there's a Oh, my, my apologies. 
Yeah. Am I better now? Much better. But, now you're back to your normal self if there's such uh, a thing. Uh, Archons are trying to creep in. Yeah, we beat them back. You. <laughs> we beat them back. Yes, yes. We Little victory. And with us, too, we've got the Moondog Vans. Vans, how are you doing? I'm fine. Sitting here pondering my graphic novel. Naval, I mean, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's full of lint. I'm sure. <laughs> One way or another. <laughs> so awesome. Well, I see, uh, as I mentioned, people in the chat room. As always, if you have any questions, please put a lot of question marks at the end. Write them in all caps. We will try to get to you. We will definitely get to you if you give us a super chat because it just sticks out. And uh, yeah, and uh, I don't think I really have any more house cleaning tonight. As always, please support this show. Even with reviews on Apple Podcasts or sharing, liking, all that stuff really helps get the word out because we need magic more than ever. So, as always, uh, why don't we start with you, Briggs? Tell us a little bit about your origin story and how you became interested in these esoteric studies. Of You and I were introduced by the amazing Dr. David Sweeney, who was a guest of the show, and we talked about the OA and David Lynch, and we just had a, a yabba-doo old time, if you would. But tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, well, I... I am a, a femme of a certain age, so one of my first introductions to all things magic and esoteric was The Craft, um, seminal 90s film about witchcraft. Yeah. Um, so that hit me at the perfect time in my, <laughs> my development. Um, and then since then, it's been uh, a journey, um, a relationship that I've built. Uh, and then as far as art is concerned... Um, yeah, it was always something that was percolating. Um, and honestly, it took me kind of a longer time than quote unquote normal to embrace being an artist, embrace being, go try to be a professional artist. Um, I mean, early in my teens, I was like a theater nerd first, um, but I decided to not go to drama school because they would tell me how to cut my hair and tell me to lose weight and not get tattoos or whatever. Um, so I'll go to art school instead where I can look as weird as I want to, obviously. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, it took me a while to find purpose, path, meaning, um, voice as to what exactly, okay, I have these skills, I've been trained, what do I want to do with them? Um, and then I moved to Scotland to pursue a master's degree and it was, uh, oh, comics, um, had been reading comics, um, enjoying comics for again forever um but it wasn't until i started this master's degree journey where it was like no i can make them too um i can make art that is more accessible to my audience um i don't have to make a single piece of art that costs a lot of money and exists in one place where either a single person may enjoy it or select people who are able to travel to a gallery can enjoy it. Um, I can make a bunch of art that people can read and enjoy in the bathtub or on the bus. They can spill a coffee on it and it won't be completely ruined. And if they hate it, they can literally rip it up. Or if they love it, they can cut it out and put it on their wall. Um, that has a lot of meaning to me, um, especially attempting to go into the fine art world. Yeah, accessibility and 
empowering a viewer to interact with art on their terms is what I became really interested in uh, going on to comics. Cool. Well, yes, for the audience, we will be uh, showing some of uh, Briggs's art uh, soon. So you can check it out. It's really, it's good. I love it. But uh, Thank you. we talked about, uh, we have uh, mutual influences. I don't know for me if it was the craft. I'd have to think about what it was for me. But uh, the it was a great movie. I think I've watched it 10 times when it came out. <laughs> right. It was just a badass movie. And it's sort of, a, it was, I guess, those seeds of Gnosticism. Because in the movie, they talk about some god above god. I forgot the name of the god in that always struck me as like, oh, my God, there's even a bigger God than the God of the Old yes. Testament. So it was already kind of toying with Gnosticism in that movie, and it stayed with me. But we talk about our mutual heroes, Grant Morrison, Alan Moore, Neil, Neil Gaiman. Certainly mm -hmm. Alan Moore and Grant Morrison are magicians. They make no qualms about it. <laughs> Neil Gaiman, I think we we talked about our frustration because he likes to step back and pretend he's secular. And all oh, these stories, just I just make them up while the other two are more like, these are sigils. These are coming from a deeper place of the imaginal and so forth. So uh, I guess I wanted to just go right and ask you, what did you think of the, the Sandman adaptation that came out recently? Yeah, um, I... I can't remember who said this on Twitter, but it stuck with me as the best possible, I don't know, boiling down of the Sandman series. Uh, it was like Neil Gaiman's Sandman, for sure, but it was nothing like any of the artists' Sandman who made it. Um, and then in watching the Sandman series, it was like, oh, it was the artists that I was most responding to back in the day when I was reading it as a teen. Um, their work is what was really igniting something in me and awakening something in me. Um, so it was like, I don't know, that, that was an important moment, I think, um, even though I was like disappointed in the series. But yeah, frustrations with Neil Gaiman, um, frustrations that can only come from loving something so much during a formative year and then formative years and then like looking back on it and being like disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> just like no you gave me so much why are you taking it away from me again <laughs> as an adult yeah that's true especially some of the adaptations that have come out the sandman was good uh but the uh, the adaptation of american gods was such a horrible shit show and good omens i hate it it just didn't do anything for me so the sandman uh, my expectations were low enough where i really enjoyed it so that's the key, I hear, is to have very low expectations in life. <laughs> so uh, what, uh, how would you describe to people or what in your research about how comic books can work as a sort of magical system or what are your ideas on this? Yeah, I think well, there's a couple. One of them is from uh, what Alan Moore did in Promethea which is he used comics as a instructional medium to talk about um, magic. So he's taking in Promethea, um, the main character, for those of you who haven't read it, she goes through initiation. She becomes this magical uh, superhero, but uh, she goes through step-by-step -step, um, the tree of life, the tree of knowledge. She goes through the major arcana of the tarot, um, where like each page of this comic is 
is is a tarot card that's being explained to her. Um, it's a beautiful instructional tool. Um, and then I've also seen him do my other my other favorite one um, that he did is snakes and ladders or disease of language, where he's I don't know I've I had one of the most profound experiences I've ever had reading a book reading uh, the birth call. And because I felt him almost shamanically leading me on a journey back to before I was me, like before I was born mm-hmm. um, through his comic and through through the artwork, through Eddie Campbell's artwork. Um, just amazing. Um, so that always stuck with me. Like it's it's an act of magic. It's a shamanic journey. It's an instructional tool for magic. Um yeah, and then Grant, like the Invisibles, obviously. Uh, it's, a, it's a sigil <laughs> spell, and what he wrote came true in a lot. Right. Of, uh, he got sick with the same things as uh, what's his name, the main character. I'm drawing a blank. What King Mob? Yeah, King Mob. Yeah. Yeah. So, Sorry. Go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, it was. Uh, what and this is a question I have brought another uh, when I have guests uh, talking about Alan Moore, uh, and of course I want to ask you this, but do you have a problem? Alan Moore has this obsession with old men having sex in his comics with really young girls, and I feel it's a trap. In fact, it's a trap when people bring it up, like in Providence and the the leave extraordinary uh, gentleman. He'll go, it's well, in, what about it's in Promethea too? Prom- oh yes, Promethea too. He'll go, well, God, you guys don't talk about violence, but you know, you bring up sex, and yeah, and in Providence, he's really sneaky because he switches the. The little girl has the soul of an old man. So he, he, and I go, what is his obsession? Do you think it's really a trap to get us to think about violence, as he says? Or no. I know it bothers me every time I have to read that. Yeah. Um, well, Alan is a Scorpio. So sometimes they do that. Uh, <laughs> shout out to all Scorpios out there. Some yeah, of you are yeah. nice. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a Scorpio. His, I mean, and also um, not just the the weird age difference. There's just straight up sexual assault a lot in his oh, in yeah. his work. Um, and I know he's previously said like if I if I pretended it wasn't there, it would be like denying a Holocaust or something extreme along those lines. Like it's part of people's experience. Um, it's a reality that people have to deal with. All of that good stuff. Um, mm. As someone who has experienced sexual assault, I don't I don't really appreciate it. Um, I don't enjoy seeing that's, that's saying it very lightly. Um, I am triggered when I see depictions of it, um, in my, in my media. So I avoid it, but yeah, his, shall we say hang up? I don't know about older men and young girls is odd and discomforting. And I absolutely think that we are all allowed to be like, what the, what are you doing, dude? And and to feel uncomfortable about it. And like, I don't think that we're being prudes. Mm-hmm. Um, especially so like, I can't really think of a lot of old women having sex with young men in his work. Um, it's not exactly a balanced situation. Yeah. And again, I, I don't want to make any, anybody uncomfortable, but I've asked 
ask other people because again it, it baffles me where there's the in providence or the other one the the side story of providence where that cthulhu monster rapes the protagonist so she could give birth to oh i was like i cannot believe i'm reading this but again i think well i don't have a problem with or i do with the, the ultra violence of his other stories and i have sort of a theory but again what do you think Pong? i know you're writing about it in the chat no, oh, he's gone silent. He's been silenced by the moral majority. No, I, I silenced myself because I was coughing. No, I think Moore is trying to work through some of his own sexual issues from some of the challenges he faced through his first marriage. If you know, and that was a particularly unusual relationship. It's it was kind of before Melinda Gebby, the first marriage. <laughs> But his and, wife wrote uh, porn, didn't she? Or no, that's that that's it? the second one. That's Melinda. Oh, Gabby. okay, sorry. All yeah, right. the first the first is long term one where his daughter Aaliyah is is uh you know she's she's the daughter of his first wife, and uh, it's complex. It, I I want to focus on breaks and her wonderful art. So. Yeah, <laughs> instead of Alan Moore's sexual hangups. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No. No. I want, I want pleasant subjects. Different podcasts. There you go. There you go. Well, yes, uh, we'll never we'll never figure out. All right. Well, let's talk about your work. Uh, what are you working on now? You have your book on Macbeth. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's um, it's an adaptation. Uh, it's an adaptation of Macbeth. I've been working. I started work on it in like 2016 or 2015. Um, maybe I should apologize for all the things that have happened since I started. Painting it was your, witches. It was your sigil me. spell. Yeah, your sigil. <laughs> um, Did you kill David Bowie? I can't forgive you for that. Oh no, I would never. <laughs> no, that was the thing. That was the ripcord. Yeah, yeah I agree. I always yeah. say reality fell apart when Starman yeah. left us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I started work on it, and then it was just in the back of back background, working here, there, wherever I could. I finally found um, a publisher, Avery Hill, out of London. They're wonderful. They gave me full creative control. So that's amazing. And I just have gone nuts with it ever since. Uh, it's coming out in July. It is currently Kickstartering for pre-orders um, through Avery Hill. They're doing their spring line. Um, but yeah, it's I basically have, have hyper-focused on medieval art. Um, I've always kind of had a fascination with medieval art, illuminated manuscripts, um, you know, images of martyrs. You know, there was one fandom back in the day and everybody made fan art about it. Um, and it was Christianity. And I'm pouring all of that into my adaptation. I decided to do... Um, yeah, just putting it oh, up here, you. your thank Kickstarter you. for the audience to take a look, yeah. and I'll have it on the show notes. But go ahead. Thanks. Um, so there was a Macbeth, a real king of Scotland. Um, he ruled uh, in the 11th century, early 11th century. So I decided to do my adaptation as if it was the 11th century. So clothing, um, art, uh, weapons, things like that are around the 11th century. Um, the cast is not uh, completely white thankfully. And I've also tried to do some gender equality in there. And then other than that, it's just witches and murder and blood and as much medieval art as I can put in as possible. Awesome. Well, we look forward to, yeah, Macbeth is one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. Now, I, when I talk to friends and people in the esoteric, it's, you know, it's the witchcraft, witchcraft and all that. For To me, it's the 
interplay of Macbeth and Lady Macbeth. The, yeah. The symbiotic relationship, which I think psychology doesn't, uh, I don't, doesn't focus as much as they should. Yeah, I guess you can watch, uh, you know, A Star is Born or something else. But the, that symbiotic and also the, the, the play with the anima and the animas, I think is completely brilliant in Shakespeare. Yeah. I think he nails it and the, the story is perfect uh, for relationships, symbiotic relationships and so much more. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Also, like I said earlier, I was a theater nerd and I was a Shakespeare nerd on top of that. So like levels of nerd. Um, And the (laughs) one part I'd never got to play that I always wanted to was Lady Macbeth. So in my adaptation, Lady Macbeth is a self-portrait. It's me acting it out, fulfilling my dreams Um, and getting to be her has been amazing. I think maybe she does get cast as like girl boss, like boss babe, like the perils of woman trying to get power. Um, but I don't think that's complete. I don't think that's the whole story um, with her at all. And like you said, there's a symbiotic relationship. Um, and you can see it in the other characters in the play. Um, only Macduff really speaks to his wife or like has a wife on screen. And they're not even in the same scene together. Um, he just leaves her and just tells her to stay put. Whereas Macbeth and Lady Macbeth have a relationship. And I can't imagine how revolutionary that was for a 16th century audience to see like those two uh, counseling each other, helping each, helping each other uh, to nefarious ends, but they're working together um, for their goals. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I know, yeah, medieval times it was lost, but obviously in ancient times, the idea of the, the logos and the wisdom working together was important for any philosopher or king. And then obviously Jung brought it up with the anima and the animas and me doing analysis. Yes, it's I have to know where my anima is and where my anima and understand them. And if one goes to one extreme or to the other that's how you get mental imbalances and again yeah. symbiotic relationships once i studied that i started seeing them in my life i realized mm. as i go down my wife you know there's this weird interplay same way that work friends every our cats we, we were talking about our cats before the show they're well cats are so lunar they're anima so there is an interplay right there so that's why i think macbeth is just it's amazing again one of my favorites of all times of shakespeare yeah what do you think, Graham? I was I was going to say Macbeth is definitely sounds perfect because I I noticed that uh, you had lived in Scotland and I was yeah. curious how that played into trying to draw from that experience and just the feel and just the the, the essence of the place coming through your work. Yeah, it's like a oof, um, it's like it's a love letter to Scotland because I miss it so much. Um, I was there for six years. I went to do my master's and had to go because the visa situation is terrible in the UK right now. Um, In many places, it's difficult to be an immigrant. Um, So coming back here to America, not feeling very settled, um, at least on the page, I'm painting, you know, beautiful lumps. I'm drawing Dunson and Hill. I'm, you know, uh, basking in... Uh, medieval Scottish art and like pouring a lot of love into it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's, I think feel like there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of um, feeling that's going into this Macbeth for me too. 
Sounds good. I was going to say to bring it back to the magic side, how do you see, you know, like, like playing off of what Miguel was talking about Macbeth and Lady Macbeth as the, you know, the, the, the two sides and, uh, you know, the Gnostic duality aspect and the playing that aspect. How do you see that coming through in your art? Yeah, it's, uh, well, my partner is Macbeth. So that is, we're literally partners. <laughs> uh, we're literally like animus, like, you know, act, acting it out um, and working things out together. Uh, and it's also, I guess this is a side note, but like, it's been a great um, outlet for both of us to express frustration, um, have a tough day at work, facing the world, come home, act out, wanting to murder your best friend. It's nice. Uh, <laughs> and end up with something you can sell to the public afterwards. Hooray. <laughs> Everyone benefits. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I can feel her stifledness and her powerlessness and her, you know, wanting to, I feel like, at least the way I've played it in mine, um, Duncan, the king, is very interested in her and likes her and I've almost played it as he's possessive of her. Maybe she could have married him, but she marries Macbeth um, because he will listen to her and form partnership with her and not treat her as an object. Um, and so I've sort of played it, sorry, I'm maybe I'm not answering, uh, but I am kind of rambling about, like I started to ask myself, why does she want to kill Duncan? Like, is it just, is it just for power and prestige or is there something more? Um, because she's the one who is telling Macbeth like, oh, we need to kill him. Like this is our chance and you're going to be king. She's the one who comes up with this idea. Um, he executes it, but then she cleans it up and she keeps a secret and the secret destroys her. Um, in, and her destruction is an internal one. It's her internal landscape is ripped apart and she loses sense of self and sense of reality. His destruction is very outward. He's killing people left and right. He's killing armies. He's killing friends. He's destroying the country. Um, so his, maybe that's how the animus and the anima like works itself out. Hers lunar is destroyed internal. His external is decimated his country until he stopped and beheaded and all that good stuff. But yeah. Yeah, that, that, that tends to put a, a, an end to a lot of insights you have. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, those are absolutely, utterly brilliant insights, Briggs. One of those okay. things that it prompts in me is what, when you were talking about the difference and why he why she chose um, Macbeth over Duncan is you were exploring the concept of the alchemical marriage. Yeah. And that she could enter that into Macbeth because he was willing to accept her as a partner, whereas Duncan was interested in her, but only as, you know, a token, you know, an object. Yeah. At least that's what I was extracting from what you that that, that yeah. prompted that insight in me. And that's what you were exploring is some of the aspects of the alchemical marriage and, and that aspect. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. And uh, Vance, any questions from you or the audience out there? Not so far. Not so far. I think far. I saw somebody flashing Rosalind Chapel. I think it was Stephanie Ramirez. Have you been to Rosalind Chapel, Briggs? 
No, I haven't. Where is that again? It's, I thought it was in Scotland. It's been yeah. a while since I've done my medieval. Uh, yeah, no, I haven't been to Rosalind Chapel. I haven't been to Rosalind Chapel, unfortunately. Um, but I have been to Dunsinan and I hiked all the way up a bit. Um, and that was amazing. Um, and powerful as well. <laughs> <laughs> and for when you are creating art, I guess, uh, I'm sure you come, you must, do you come from the school? Again, we're talking about Moore and, uh, Morrison who believe there is a, a world of the imaginal that you can draw from. Do you believe that? And what are some of the uh, rituals or magic things that you do to get yourself connected to this, the world of the archetypes of inspiration? Yeah. I mean, I have my, my daily magical practice, my daily meditation practice. I open every workday with meditation and connection and just, okay, what are we, what am I experiencing? What am I feeling? Who am I today? And, and just grounding in that first. Um, and then I think my practice, and this, this is a skill that has to be practiced. You know, art is a skill physically being able to draw things. Um, but there's also a practice and a skill of listening um, to, I'll, I'll say, the intuition, um, the artistic intuition. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why I prefer um, physical material. I, I work everything analog rather than digitally because I can touch things. Um, and also these objects, these physical objects, bits of paper and paint have sometimes a mind of their own. Um, and you have to build a relationship with them. It could be a skill-based one. You know, how do I, how do I watercolor effectively? Um, but also there's, a, there's an aspect of trusting and listening to like, I don't know why I want to grab this pen. Oh, it's splattered <laughs> all over the place. Okay, this is what we're doing today. And I'm going to grow and adapt to it. Um, and also feel. Uh, I do a lot of collage, a lot of um, like bits and pieces and scrap paper um, and newspapers and like feathers and you know leaves and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I think part of like this intuitive creation, intuitive art making practice is listening to this doesn't feel right. This feather doesn't feel right here. I don't know what this is missing. Like um, almost as if you were listening to music and the chord wasn't quite right. Somebody hit a sour note. Um, you, That's also a part of my practice is like listening for the sour note in my own visual media, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. okay <laughs> it does it does do you have any favorite deities you like to work with or spirits i mean i'll be honest mine since everything went crazy in 2020 or maybe after david bowie left for me it's been hermes without hermes mm. i couldn't i wouldn't be uh i would still be sane that's all i have to say so thank you hermes <laughs> but what about you when you work for uh for inspiration yeah i it's hecate Primarily, it has been for a while. There's a few um, that sometimes they come like in and out of focus. Hecate's the most in focus at the moment. Um, my left arm is covered in like tattoos that are dedicated to um, the different goddesses. So there's Artemis, there's Medusa, Athena, like mm. together. Um, Hecate's there, um, the reindeer goddess. And then um, I had, and that, now she's coming back into focus, uh, Arishkaga. 
Yeah. Um, and sort of Kali Arishkagal feelings. So she was she was there for a while. She like went back and now she's coming forward again. Um, and also Freya because cats and <laughs> warrior goddesses. <laughs> I quote from Vanilla Sky, let's come back as cats. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. for me, for female, it would have to be Anat has been destruction goddess or segment nice. recently so do you know uh sorita deste she's done some amazing work with uh hecate yeah. she has the conference every year and everything she's uh really the leading mind when it comes to the goddess hecate so but i'll send you her information she's Thank amazing you. she's written so many books so and what what advice do you have for artists i mean who want to express themselves when they ask you well, what what do i do and i want to mention too i was listening to a, a podcast today and they had the matthew quick he's the author of the silver linings playbook and you know they made a movie he's done very well but then he hit a wall and a big time wall. And he used, he used to say how he would make fun of people, writers who had writer's block. That's your excuse for being lazy. And then one day he had writer's block. He's like, shit. <laughs> so he did two things. Well, he stopped drinking, which helped, but he went to a Jungian analysis and he would try, he's like, please, I need help. What's going on? And kept going. And he's starting to get mad at his Jungian analysis. And the Jungian analysis said, look, when your psyche's ready, you will start writing it is autonomous and when we say psyche we can mean the gods the spirits what our higher self there's something beyond us that feed our muse so and then one day the psyche worked and he just wrote this book really fast so do you feel mm -hmm. that way and what what advice do you have for artists out there yeah i absolutely feel that way um i think i mean the first thing that comes to mind is uh there is one of the, I don't know, it's like an extremely powerful thing that we maybe overlook is the power of saying hello, like to your psyche, um, to the world around you, to the Fae, to Hecate, like just hello, like not expecting anything, you know, no agenda, just I am here as, as a being and I acknowledge your beingness and we're sharing space right now and just hello um and it's also you know it's like the first step like you can't you can't leap off into oblivion without at least like like <laughs> hello how are you doing um and then for art like i don't know just i think going back to that like it's it's a skill i mean and it it is a skill there there's two sides of it you and you can get better at both that's the thing with skills you can, people have natural propensities for music, math, whatever, reading even. And then, but no child comes, you know, tumbling out of, the, out of the womb, able to read everything. It's a skill that you learn and you practice and you get better at it. So even if you're, if you want to get better at drawing figures, if you want to get better at drawing horses or skulls, you can practice and your skills can improve. And I think the same thing or something similar applies to the more intuitive or psychic side of art creation. Um, practice. It's a skill. You can get better at it. You can get better at listening to whatever is coming down into you. You can get better at discernment. You can get better at 
honoring. It's like as soon as you honor one suggestion or honor one thing that you've heard, you get a little bit better at flowing with uh, how you're being directed. Um, so yes, yeah, so and then I guess that Taoist principle of flow like water. Um, you don't have to bash your head against things. Sometimes things don't work and that's fine. And you're not bad and you're not immoral or worthless. You could just do something else. <laughs> Good advice. Yeah. And as I tell people, religion or spirituality is a form of art. So both, like you said, it takes time. You're not going to have a mystical experience. The gods aren't going to talk to you, you know, off the bat. So yeah, you have to keep working on it, but uh, seek and you shall find. It's there. Yeah. And I always like the, there's a saying, and I always forget the individual who said it, but it's one of my favorite saying. I say it all the time in the show, and that's uh, an artist is not a special type of person. Every person is a special type of artist. So find your bliss. That's lovely. Yeah, well, again, I'm, I am also an artist, more of a writer. I uh, used to draw a long time ago oil paintings, but that was in another lifetime. So um, now I'm just a heretic. Well, uh, Graham, do you have any questions for Briggs? I do. I was curious if she saw her art as a type of channeling, because it was very much how she was describing it, where she was basically giving physical form to the unconscious, pulling out of the liminal. Yeah, a lot of times, yeah. A lot, yeah, a lot of times, yeah. Um, a lot of my art, my tarot deck, some of my um, like personal comics, they are it's almost like me channeling me, um, probably with a lot of help. Like I will like, thank you, um, <laughs> but like uh, it's a tool. It's a process. Art can be a tool and a process for getting to know yourself um, and asking yourself, "How are you doing?" How are, how are you? What are you feeling? Like a check-in. Mm -hmm. um, when I first started getting serious about art, it was just self-portraits. Just self-portrait after self-portrait as a way to be like, how are you? Who are you? Like um, getting to know yourself. So yes, it is channeling. But a lot of times it's channeling, what is going on in here? Um, can I get it out on the page and understand it better? No, no, sound, sounds perfect. I was curious as far as that pulling it out, I was noticing yeah. some of some of the influences in your style. And you seem to come from what I describe as the Baron Story School of Art, which was uh, Dave McKean, David Mack, Bill Sienkiewicz. And it's yeah. like I'm noticing through there, it's like you're very much, you know, Dave McKean, you know, uh, David Mack uh, collages that you often yes. use. And, you know, J.H. Williams, like you, you cited Promethean, I wasn't surprised because I noticed strong J.H. Williams page layout influence on your style. And, uh, you know, the one that, that, that may, I was curious, and it, I don't know how, how conscious this is, was Seymour Chwast. And, you know, he did, uh, he's done adaptions of the Divine Comedy. He's he's a, more of a European artist, and he's very much incorporating more of the the personal stylized figures that I noticed you reaching for in your work. 
because that's where yeah. I see it's like I'm excited to see where you go next because you're sort of in that in between phase where you don't have that mastery of the medium quite yet. You have um, you, you you have it's like you have a lot of stuff that you're exploring and trying to see how far you can push it but you haven't pushed all of the boundaries and then brought it all back, integrated it, Jungian style, yes. into that, 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 that single sort of style that you become, that that's you, your your unique voice as an artist. And yeah. I'll be interested to see when that mastery occurs with you. Okay. I was curious, what, what are your thoughts as to, you know, how on those influences and who have I missed? Yeah, I mean, you hit him. Like, I remember, I remember the day I bought my first David Mack comic. Um, like, that's how. Like, it, I remember. I think I was eighteen, and I bought a Kabuki comic um, with all the watercolors and the collage. Um, and I just remember like opening it up and just being like, "Like, I can't. Like, this is too good. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna throw all my brushes away, and I can't never accomplish this." Um, so yeah, David Mack, David McKean, they always get, and J.H. Williams, yes, all of his amazing page layouts, but none of the cheesecake, which I find very, <laughs> I don't like. <laughs> like it, sells, don't... it sells comics though, you know, and it some artists, comics. some artists like to draw it. It's like, you know, I don't know yes. how you could get and... Frank Cho without his, you know, unique aspect he brings to the female form. Yes, um, and, and some people love it. Like, if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. People like drawing it and people love it. Um, it is not my cup of tea. I won't yuck anybody's cheesecake yum on that front. Um, <laughs> it's, not yeah, it's not quite as over the edge as some of Alan's writings and work. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, um, and then I think I have to wheel it back to more like historic, um, influences, a lot of medieval manuscripts, which are unfortunately anonymous. Um, they are sequential art. They are works of sequential art. Um, it's just comics before printing press came out. Um, and they're telling super, they're telling superhero stories. Let's be honest. Um, so the one, the one that is named is Hildegard von Bingen, um, being mm -hmm. an artist and a mystic. And, you know, she's a, a huge influence. Um, Hilma F. Klimt is also a big influence. She's um, also a mystic artist. She was never commercial. She never put her paintings up for commercial sale because they were giant uh, meditation tools and spiritual praxis tools. And she is credited as she's the first person in Europe that we know of to do abstraction, pure abstraction, um, like before Kandinsky. So she's a great influence. Um, if you haven't seen any of her work, it's just amazing. Um, and they were huge. They were like seven to eight feet tall, giant canvases. Um, yeah, and then I think, yeah, I think, I think other than those, other than those two, the medieval stuff um, and uh, Pamela Coleman Smith, just because that, her, just draftsmanship is, god 
damn it. Like, it makes me mad. (laughs) 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 Do you you ever just see something and be mad at it because it's so beautiful? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You you wish you could be as good as their mistakes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. I was going to say. And Alan Lee, the. All of his beautiful illustrations from Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. I was going to say Maxwell Parrish is one I always enjoyed. That's of a similar sort of uh, there. One question I have as far as storytelling: Have you explored Scott McCloud and his comics trilogy with understanding comics and yes. making comics? Because that I find invaluable to just a you know it's, it's like a Rosetta Stone for uh, just the medium. Yeah, that was. When I was doing my masters, I trend, I was do, I was just a painter, a fine art painter before, and decided to make a, my first comic. Um, that was understanding comics was like one of the first books I nabbed, just to be like, give me all of your information. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. He dates the first comics all the way back to the ancient Egyptians and the yes. the, 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 the temple walls and all. So. Right. Yeah. Of course, yeah. And uh, do you ever find any of your art or to be predictive or come true? I mean, I've, oh. they always say it. I've had writing some of my fiction come true. One novel came very true in my life. So. That's amazing. Um, I have had so Triskelion. Um, that's the one I have on my desk. Um, Triskelion was conceived as a spell in comics form. Um, to put uh, parts of myself back together that had been broken apart through trauma. Mm. And it, I mean, I feel like it fucking worked. Excuse my French. Um, That's okay. And also, like, once I had, like, finished this work, I, and if you can hear him laughing, um, after I finished this work, I reconnected with the person who's my partner now. We had met when we were 14. He kept showing up in my dreams. Um, and then after this book was finished, it was like, no, you can, now you're together. You can, you can be together. Um, yeah. So that, I'm not sure like if that falls into the category of coming true, but definitely like if effective. Yeah. The, the veil is the barriers are thin. The veils are, yeah, it definitely falls under that category. Yeah. It's uh it's amazing when linear time takes a pause and you're just in the flow in a nice dream. And what is what for Grant Morrison? What's your favorite of his comic or comic book series? I'm going to have to say the invisibles. Cause that's the first one that comes to mind. Um, Animal man is also mm-hmm. incredible where he's speaking to his, mm-hmm. his, his creation. Um, yeah. And interrogating like, why are you traumatizing me constantly? <laughs> which is fair uh, but yeah the invisibles i still have my my invisibles button on my jacket yeah every time i reread it i tell people i don't read the invisibles i experience it it's a complete experience from beginning to end although i have to say these days my favorite is nameless and i know okay. most people don't like it they hate it but to me it's the it's just the best it's like yeah that's the Oh no, that was more like the Batman one. He was he was really exploring the Dark Mother for a while. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, they were were very much exploring the Dark Mother for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely felt that he was doing that in like his his run on Batman too. Yeah, um, yeah that's true. and then it felt like Nameless. He, they were doing it again. Um, but yeah, yeah. 
Awesome, Ben's. Any question, or the audience have a question? Yeah, and we'll there, go there, to look at some of her some of her art. There was an interesting question, which is, what do you think about these this business about the AI generated art that you see all over the internet? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just that for those of you listening on audio. It's uh, it's it's. I just <laughs> yeah. I where's my screaming pillow? Um, I think, um, first of all, it's a misnomer. The, the AI is not generating anything. Um, the AI, it's, it's, it's new. It's, it's like a crime because what it's doing, all these AI things, they're, they're combing the internet and stealing pe images that people have created. Mm -hmm. And people are, they're, they're categorizing them with mood, you know, what kind of person is there. Um, so that when you input something into the into the AI, it it mashes existing art together. So it's stealing. And the artists who have made this art, you know, historic, still working today, none of us are being compensated or credited. Um, mm. This is not an original creation. This is, I don't know what to call it, an amalgamation. Frankenart. Um, <laughs> Frankenart, yes. Um and yeah, it is cheap, but it's not—it's not miraculous. It's—it—it's it, not real art. Um, if yeah, if you want to put it that way, it's—it's it's a, a horror. I'm horrified by it to be so real. Oh, I agree, but you know, their defense is going to be—it's just similar like sampling that people do in the music industry. Right, and, which is BS. <laughs> oh, I, I agree. I, I, that's why I led with I agree. I said, but that's exactly <laughs> how they're going to. That's exactly how they're going to spin it when you complain. I know because I've heard it too many times. Yeah, and then it's going to be. I'm sure there's probably already NFTs of AI art, which is another layer of horror on top of it. <laughs> Badri Lard and the decay of the myth, and it just keeps decaying until we've got nothing. Just commercial logos yeah. <laughs> yeah just the destruct well yeah we said that's the end of society that's how you can tell if a culture is ending so and western culture is ending nfts no are taking that. money from people with no sense i was curious getting back to briggs and her artwork about your your tarot cards i was curious about your process about coming up with the set how you yeah. channeled the artwork how it was related to the hero's journey especially you know since you went through promethea and i, I mm -hmm. familiar with with how that that would have related to it so just curious yeah. how, how how you brought all of that together into one deck and especially how i can get one of those because i have a couple oh. dozen decks and i would love to add yours to my collection oh, thank you yeah again this was um creating the tarot deck was a process of checking in with myself because i was i was going through it i was like i think i need a divorce and if i get a divorce i lose my visa and i have to move back to america with nothing mm -hmm. so i need to make a decision um and so the only thing that i thought to do was i'm gonna sit with my feelings which is difficult but I'm going to make a painting because paintings take time, paintings take sitting, and I'm going to paint um, the Wheel of Fortune. And I'm going to pour all of my feelings of this moment into this Wheel of Fortune. Um, and it was very helpful. So I moved on to the next. And after I finished the Wheel of Fortune, I was like, okay, I've kind of processed this. I'll put it to the side. But then the next feeling comes up, and it's the star. So I'm going to paint the star. 
Um, and basically I use the creation of the tarot deck to help me process this massive life change um, that I was going through or about to embark on. Um, and again, it's the, I'm sitting here. It, these take time. They take time to research. They take time to physically draw. I have to sit in this emotion and, and be okay with it and contemplate it. And then the next emotion will come up. Um, so that's, that's why it's called the new chapter tarot. Um, and I also, along the way, um, I put my friends and my family into the deck and myself. Um, because sometimes when I was trying to understand or, you know, one of, one of the reasons was because some of the cards that I was trying to understand and embody, I couldn't feel for myself. I couldn't feel the six of wands for myself in that moment. But I had a friend who, when I looked at her, I, I had all these feelings about her that were very six of wandsy. That was, you know, I love this person and I'm so proud of her and all that good stuff. So I'm going to paint her instead. Um, or they, they represented certain moments for me. They were, they helped me in my journey. Um, so I painted them as the princess of discs, uh, helps me in my journey and my magical journey. Um, so yeah, they're my friends and yeah. And then you can get, um, it's out from a lovely publisher called Liminal 11. Um, you can get it through their website, although they're based in the UK. So you might get, um, all kinds of tariffs, but they are available in your local Barnes and Noble. We can see if they're in stock near you. Very, very cool. Very yes. cool. No, it sounds like what you managed to produce was something in that art and magic category with your tarot. You were pulling the uh, universal meaning through the personal meaning and setting up, you know, that 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 syzygy that 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 is art and magic together. So thank you. I, I look forward to your deck. Thank you. Let's take a look at some of our where is it? Let's take a look at some of Briggs's art. Yes, like I got okay. it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, well, let's tell us what we're looking at and we'll go down this journey. Sure. We are looking at a page of Macbeth um, and we are looking at a page of Macbeth that includes a tarot card. Um, many tarot cards appear in my adaptation of Macbeth um, because I'm not, I feel like I'm not done with the tarot yet. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so this is the moment um, when Macbeth is off stage, uh, off scene, probably killing Duncan. And Lady Macbeth is hearing owls screeching wow. and she's drugged um, the two sleeping grooms of, of Duncan so they don't wake up and defend him. Um, so yeah, and then we have the tower because it's all come, it's all crashing down. <laughs> yeah, love the owl eyes, very powerful. Thank you. All right, then what do we have here? This is more Macbeth. Um, this is after the deed is done and people are recounting there have been evil portents seen about the land. Um, this is before it's known that the king was murdered. Uh, the king's horses start eating each other. Mm. They cannibalize each other. All right, we go to slide three and yes. We've Some got witches. The three, the three witches. <laughs> the three witches. They are meeting and they are about to invoke Hecate herself to have a conference with her. So she is just starting to form in the flame behind him. And in it's, there's a stylistic choice in the book. All of the scenes with the witches are black, white, and blood red. Whereas the scenes um, 
And, and when Macbeth comes to join them and talk to them, he's in black, white, and blood red. They exist in this otherworldly space in the comic. Well, yeah, and for the audience, uh, as many scholars, medieval scholars, have said in the run, it was not till like the 12th, 13th century before the Catholic Church really took control of Europe. It was still a very fluid, Christianity was fluid, paganism was very accepted. I think Pope Innocent in the 12th century would urge Catholics to go to mass once a year at least, you know? So this stuff was was in the air. It was still, it was, it was kind of a cool time. All right. What do More we Macbeth. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got more Macbeth. This is um, his enemies are, are gathering below his fort on Dunsinan. They're making their plan. And there is an analogy that Shakespeare is using about how Macbeth himself has dressed himself in robes that don't befit him, that, that don't fit him. Mm -hmm. um, he's trying desperately to tie them together. Um, and this is the actual Dunsinan Hill that I used as reference. Um, there's a beautiful ruins of an old hill fort on the top of it. So I tried to, you know, add the what the walls might have looked like on top. Wow, really nice, love it. And then there's me as that Lady Macbeth. You. Yeah, there's me as Lady Macbeth receiving. This is the first time we see her, and she is reading the letter that Macbeth has sent her to tell her of his victories and his promotions, and hinting that the witches have promised him more. Very nice. Okay. There's... There she is a little bit later in the play and not feeling so great. <laughs> <laughs> this is her, um, the scene where she's trying to wash her hands clean of blood. Mm -hmm. uh, she's saying out damn spot. Um, and she's constantly carrying around a candle. Um, and she says, you know, the, the doctor is remarking on it. And Lady Macbeth only answers that hell is murky. So she's she's surrounded by darkness, and she's trying to ward it off with her candle and keep her hands clean. Mm. All right. This is some um, my personal work, my autobiographical work. I got into a space where I was fixated on rabbits, so they and they also kept popping up in the physical world. I see rabbits all the time. I was meditating on rabbits. So I took it as an invitation to enter the underworld as a rabbit enters its burrow. Um, and as a rabbit is, uh, I don't know, on the watch, fearful, um, it's a prey animal. I also was feeling like hunted. I have, associ I have associations with different animals to represent different emotions. And it's almost like a personal pantheon, um, which I would encourage all artists to maybe explore. Maybe a rabbit means something in the canon of uh, symbols, but a rabbit can mean something completely different to you personally, and that's okay. Yeah, so and it's do, the right, go ahead. do we know why in medieval times they have this thing about killer rabbits? No. I mean, Monty Python makes fun of it. And the, the whole, yeah, but it, I mean, they weren't just making it up. There's all this art of killer rabbits. Really? That's real? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought they yeah. made it up. No, no. Oh, well, nobody n nobody really knows why they had this kick. Well, you might have asked why they'd have the dancing plague and all this stuff that's yeah. still, that's still weird times. <laughs> maybe people have always just liked memes. 
Uh, very good. Means of all. Yes, I think you're right. The Egyptians, the medieval people. Yeah, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Human. <laughs> yep. All right, so there's. Slide eight. Yep. That's more of the rabbit comic. Uh, me as a rabbit. Me as a as a March hare, losing my mind, going under and going upside down. This is a liberating practice. Um, this watercolor self portrait was a big actual watercolor that you know i scanned and kept the digital files and then it's a liberating practice for me sometimes to print out my old artwork and rip it up and put it into new artwork mm. so that's what this is this is a print of an old artwork that got ripped up and oh sampling yes sampling, <laughs> sampling <laughs> very nice all right slide nine and we got the high priestess from my tarot deck mm -hmm. um and this is the cup this became the the box art um which is lovely so we've got three goddesses um and a sort of hidden tree of life behind them um and different uh rainbow colors around uh chakras that elevate upwards so we've got kali we've got um mamawati and we've mm -hmm. got athena so we've got three different kinds of women. Uh, you could say maiden mother crone. Um, you could also say, you know, Athena with her logic and her thinking mind, uh, Mamawati with her more sensual side, and Kalima with her vengeance side. Um, and it's important to have all three when you're out there in the world being a femme. Indeed. All right, slide number 10. Judgment card from my tarot deck uh this was fun this was i i don't know i don't fully understand this card um and i don't meaning the artwork that i made i don't fully understand but i was again trying to take let myself be taken over by it um it's ruled by aquarius so it's like okay this is going to be weird and i'm maybe not going to understand it and that's fine um but it's powerful and it's about cycles and it's about growing and growth. Um, these are beech leaves. Um, it's a beech tree growing. Beaches, again, they mean something to me. Um, and they also, I love them partially because they hold on to their leaves all throughout the winter. Mm -hmm. um, and they only drop their old growth when the new growth is ready to come. She's always protective almost of her leaves even though they're they're dead um she's holding on to them and then yeah before they regenerate so yeah this is i love this card um and i loved working on it but honestly again it feels right and that's okay but i'm not sure i intellectually understand why i made all these choices <laughs> is that the tree of life uh there the top of the tree of life yeah the chalkman bina and then the the einsoff yeah no. It's flying away. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you'll. The answers will come to you when, when it's time. When the <laughs> when psyche, this when the psyche is ready to tell you what it is. Ah, this one. The this Ace one. of Wands. Yeah. yeah, Ace of Wands from my tarot deck. Um, all of the aces have the alchemical symbol um, as the background, and all of them deal with the three different um, astrological signs that represent the element. So this one, Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. So I was thinking about the different um, transmutations, the different forms that fire would take. Um, thank you. 
And so we have illuminating light, illuminating fire. We have warming, radiant fire for Leo, illuminating for Aries um, because it's cardinal. And then a wildfire, a destructive yet regenerative fire for Sagittarius. Um, and that's, I was trying to use color and form to just get, get that feeling across. And then the wand, I, for all of the aces, I was trying to go back into the most ancient version of a wand, a disc, a, a sword. Um, so of course we have Caduceus. Awesome. Yeah, I want to go through all your art. Are you good? I know some guests can only do Oh, an yeah, hour. I didn't even notice. Okay, yeah, I'm okay, good. Thank good, you. Good. Yeah, so I had to bring Cronus in. But yeah, no, this is a, this is a blast. Uh, tw- number 12. Yeah, a bit of autobiographical art as I'm, this is right after I moved back um, to where I grew up, uh, back to America. So I was trying to process all these things. And again, I love working on paper uh that is not meant to be worked on inappropriate paper that's what i usually say before i left scotland i brought back a bunch of newspapers <laughs> so i'm drawing the self-portrait of feeling displaced uh, not knowing where i am on top mm. of the scottish newspaper oh wow yeah yeah i can feel so much so much in there wow <laughs> must have been hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right, 13, yeah. the 13th. Cool. The 13th one. Um, yeah, another autobiographical comic. Um, I was having this this dream or this visualization of a tapestry um, and pulling apart my tapestry, um, but that it was also like bleeding, like alive, uh, which is like very visceral. So I was trying to process those images through art. So I've got a couple different layers. There's a an image of the unicorn tapestries as the base. Um, and those, the, those beautiful tapestries. Um, but it's a, it's a, again, a work of sequential art. It's a sequential series of tapestries showing a unicorn getting murdered and bringing it back mm. to the, the palace. Um, and these birds that are making their nests and ripping apart the tapestry um, to make something new on wow. top of it. Yeah. Very powerful. Again, for your tarot events, we need to bring it up to Sunshine Valerie because she's our our tarot girl. For she's in here tonight. I saw her. Oh, she is. Oh, okay. Yep. Not saying much, but she's there. All right. Oh. Slide fourteen. Wow, this is yes. gorgeous. Thank you. More autobiographical art about my mom, <laughs> um, and working through this image of of performance and theater and acting out roles. Um, So I was drawing inspiration from a lot of beautifully illustrated theater playbills from the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century um, and drawing over them and creating stages on top of them and just making panels that maybe didn't really have much uh, images in them, but but what what would it do? Um, what would it, would it still function as a comic? I guess. Mm. Amazing. All right. Then we go to number 15. Yep, That's from the same comic, uh, the same short comic. I do a lot of like short runs, you know, two, two to four pages just to work something out. So again, this is a, a, a old playbill plus work that I had previously done a larger scale watercolor self-portrait 
working through similar emotions about mothers, um, but printed out, ripped up, and repurposed, which again is very liberating. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, this is more weird collage stuff. Um, I was drawn to buy a pack of random vintage postcards on <laughs> eBay, which you can get, which is amazing. Really? Um, very cheaply. Mm. Yeah, just a random stack. Some of them have writing on them, um, which is even wow. better. Um, so again, working through home and visiting and where am I? How do I ground myself in where I am? Um, and, and how I've gotten here. So this, this one doesn't have the text on it, but it is a comic page. Well, I'm looking at a question here. I don't know if you want to address it. Somebody oh. wants to know. Two to four pages. Yeah. Um, that I started doing that right after my master's as a necessity because I was, you know, working part-time trying to figure out what to do with my life. Um, so I started just doing two to four pages of comics because I would write something, I would have an idea, but I wouldn't necessarily have time to make an entire work. Um, and then there used to be a lot more anthologies where you can, they only take short comics, but they publish you with a bunch of other people. And that's a great way to get out there. It was a great way to meet people um, in the comics industry and in the scene. So I always encourage when I teach comics to don't start with the 300 page magnum opus. <laughs> like do two pages, a complete thought, a beginning, middle and an end. Do four pages, that's a beginning, a middle and an end. And and you you practice, you love it levels you up quicker than devoting yourself to a giant work right off the bat. Good advice. Yeah, there's more postcards comics taking different postcards, sewing them together, stitching them together, um, making, I think I made a rudimentary like uh, stencil of that owl. Again, an owl means something to me, to my family um, that might not be canon. And also like drawing myself here, there and everywhere. Oh, awesome. Let's see, number 18. Oh, devil. Um, <laughs> this is from, this is from Triskelion. Um, which is my big, my 200 page magnum opus that I built up to. Um, this is, this is literally the devil. Um, the victim character um, is snatched through the gates of hell as part of her journey, as part of her hero's journey. Um, and so, yeah, this is definitely inspired by the tarot cards, but this was years before I ever attempted a tarot. Um, mm. So she's like an Inanna Persephone character has mm -hmm. to go to the underworld. Yeah. And what uh, the devil? Tell us about the devil. It's fascinating. Fully. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's well. He's beautiful and alluring, right? Because mm -hmm. he used to be an angel. There's worlds within him. Literally, there's a nebula. That's what I was using as reference material inside mm. of him snatching him away to promise her all kinds of things. Um, on his gates, I put, you know, fish and snakes and crows, things that are associated with regeneration and the underworld. I snatched that rose, that white rose is from the banner of that death is holding in the writer, in the Pamela Coleman Smith tarot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then Athena is a character in the comic, so she's there trying to stop Ooh. it all. Yeah, I see her. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so in this version, in this version of the devil, uh, in my comic, he is alluring and he's full of promises and to make things go easier for you if you surrender your will to his. Awesome. I love how you have Athena. All my women friends never liked Athena, but I think she's awesome. I I think she's misunderstood personally. Yeah. 19, what do we have here? Oh, this is um, repurposing. This is sampling Sailor Moon comics. (laughs) (laughs) Sailor Moon, huh? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I should also have thrown her out as a massive um, inspiration. The way she does panel layouts, um, Nako Takeuchi, is amazing. Um, it, It was so liberating seeing her work. She doesn't care about context. She just cares about feeling. And it was like, this is beautiful. This is brilliant. I love this. Um, so yeah, Triskelion is about a victim, a hero, and a villain. Um, each of them get their own specific kind of chapter where I delve into the the archetypal hero, victim, and villain, and what that looks like for a female character. So this was from the chapter about uh, female heroism, um, so women who are heroes. So Sailor Moon is an example. Um, She-Ra is also an example, which is what the painting is in the middle, um, which was extremely formative to me as a femme of a certain age. So, yeah, so we're we're sampling and we're resampling. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so we've got this. I cannot pronounce her name. Um, She's the Welsh flower goddess, and this is an illustrating part of her story where she's made from flowers to be somebody's bride. Um, She has no choice in the matter. She's Mm. perfect sweetness, you know, nothing but flowers. Um, But she rebels and she hucks a spear at her husband from, you know, across, across the stream, Uh, I think has to hit him in the foot or something, some very um, Mm. specific way that is the only way that he can die. Um, But she gets him uh, and as punishment, she's turned into an owl. (laughs) <laughs> wonderful all right 21 what do we oh. have here also triskelion the sort of the moment of truth uh everybody is reunited uh yeah, the hero the victim and the villain they're represented by a sword a wand and a disc and they are reunited finally All right. I think that's it. 21. What a coincidence. 21. (laughs) Wow. That's been amazing. Love your, love your work. Graham, do you have a a question or a remark? I was going to say the manga part kind of reminded me of uh, Leah Hernandez who did a bunch of uh, manga inspired, like even steampunk and stuff in the, uh, Back in the, uh, the the 90s and 2000s, she was one of the pioneering women in the small one. The other one that I was thinking was, um, you were talking about the the uh, people trying to break in. Small Press Expo would be one that I would definitely yeah. say they should need to check out. And uh, yeah. what are your thoughts on all that? Did you ever go to Small Press Expo? Did you explore that route at all? Yeah, I've gone as a visitor. Um, and then I think you have to apply to get in. Uh, because it's so it's so popular. Um, so I don't think I applied to get in this year because I was going to Thought Bubble. But next year, 
I'm definitely going to apply to get in again. But yeah, going as a visitor was amazing. It was, it was like all my favorite friends from Twitter are here. <laughs> and artist alleys, have you done some of those? Or? Yes. Yeah, I did a lot. I did a lot in Scotland. Um, I, I only got to, to do like one or two back here before the pandemic hit. Gotcha. And, and, like, nope. and Thought Bubble, wh where is that? Uh, that's just outside of the... Leeds in England. Mm -hmm. Harrogate, specifically. Specifically, yeah. And that's a big convention over there. Yeah, that's a huge um, comic arts fest. So it won't have any of your, your Marvels or your DCs. It'll just be like indie people mostly oh, cool. selling selling their own works or small press publishers selling their own works. So it's just a beautiful bastion for weird comics. Like it already. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. And Vance, any questions from you or the audience? Well, um, there was, um, and I just I just looked this artist up a little bit, and it is interesting. Uh, have you heard of Hilma Clint? Oh yeah, that's that's the one I was talking. That's the artist I was talking about earlier. Oh, okay. I'm yeah. sorry. I must have missed that. No, okay. no, no. Uh, yeah. Helma what, what are your thoughts? Share your thoughts. That's oh, what. God. She's she's one of, she's an amazing inspiration to me. Um, she's one of my biggest inspirations. She's just her, her ethos of like, I am making this art for spirit as spiritual practice and for other people's spiritual practice to help guide people to a higher plane of existence is wow. amazing. And the paintings are beautiful. Um, on top of that, uh, they are beautiful. Like when you look at them, you feel, at least, excuse me, when I look at them, I feel calm. I feel, but also intrigued and, and inspired. So I absolutely love her works. They're, they're purely abstract. Uh, she might have the odd dove in there, but other than that, it's just shapes and colors. I've got one. Uh, in the life of an artist, I'm not an artist, I'm a musician, but not an artist. Um, there are two poles, right? There's the beauty pole and there's the ugliness pole, the light and the dark, right? Well, what, what do you have to say about that? You know, are, are artists, you know, gravitating toward one of the pole or the other? Is that a valid, you know, way of thinking about art? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I feel like... The more the more important poll uh, to gather around is the authenticity poll. So creating works, at least for me, creating works that feel authentic to the moment, whatever I'm experiencing, um, whether that is light or dark, um, creating works that are authentic to myself, my moment, my patrons. Um, yeah, authenticity more than darker light because we we exist, you know, we exist in light, we exist in dark. It's we are both things. Um, but yeah, authenticity first. So you're really trying to transmit yourself at the moment as opposed to a concept or something that you're trying to transmit that's independent of what you're going through? I think so, yeah. I think. I think my feeling, um, my feelings, what I'm going through, what I'm experiencing in the moment, uh, that's that's what fuels, that's what sparks, that's like the drive to to create and to explore it. 
Um, I think the hope is always that like, I might be going through something extremely specific. Not many people have lost a marriage visa and had to move from Scotland, you know, like back to Pennsylvania. However, if I'm communicating something of my experience as authentically as possible, then it will still um, impact another person. I still maybe uplift um, as I'm experiencing an emotion, a feeling, and also trying to work through it and process it and rise above it, I guess. That's the most important thing. Yeah. I noticed one of the questions in the chat, which ties back to the whole magic aspect, was uh, uh, Jodorowsky and Mobius's in-call. And they were wondering which of us had, had read it and what we thought of it. And uh, I'll just open it for you people. <laughs> I I don't think I got all the way through um, the first in-call, but I did. I did read it relatively recently. Uh, first of all, the art is absolutely mind-blowing. Um, but And I know it's like going through a terror cycle. I think that's the, the thing. Um, very much, yeah. Very much, yeah. I think I got... I got exhausted, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> now you hit one of the things I was saying, the tarot cycle, a Finnegan's Wake, Eternal Return, you know, all of that's involved there. It's, it's, it's wonderful work. And for me, I extract something new each time I read it. It's, right. that, which is what makes it art. Yeah. Very true. As we change, the art changes. Are you familiar with Ramona Fradden? Mm -mm. Well, she she's actually one of the OGs. She uh, did work on Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Brenda Starr, and she's really she's in the comic book Hall of Fame. And she wrote this book, The Gnostic Faustus. I interviewed her. Oh, nice. So, and she's very much reminded me because she's very much into the occult, astrology, tarot, and all that. But uh, She's one of the originals, and it's great to see, again, a woman who's very yeah. prestigious and very honored in the industry. As a, awesome. you know, mm -hmm. I had I'll no idea about that on, uh, on Ramona. Thank you. Thank you for that, Miguel. That was a good yeah, share. I'll send you our interview. And it's a great book because she details, she gives you a good summary of Nostra and details the legend of Faustus throughout medieval times, which is a blast. And, of course, as many know, Faustus is based on Simon Magus, the father of Gnosticism, the magician, the evil magician that the church hated. But so more interesting stuff. So no, this has been a, a really a fun conversation. Any last questions from you, Graham? No, no. I did I, only just encouragement and hoping that uh, I get to see the mastery that I know is within Briggs. Thank you. What about you, Vince? Yeah, um, in your tarot, where you, um, and pardon me if uh, you covered this and I was busy looking at the chat and missed it, um, do you have strong feelings about the astrology uh, attributions to the cards when, yeah. you're, when you're doing the art? So Yeah, I think, um, I think astrology was my first magical love, like the, the, the first thing that like, got, me, got me curious. So, and it stayed with me. Um, so yes, the astrolog every a lot of the, uh, a lot of the cards, maybe not every card, but a lot of the cards have um, the their astrological symbols on them um, as reference. Yeah, Queen of Swords with her Libra, um, Ace of Discs. Oh yeah, yeah, all the 
And then, or they might be hidden. Like the King of Swords has Aquarius, the constellation above his head ah. rather than outright. But yeah, it is, it is really important to me. I love astrology as a tool for understanding as a system. Um, yeah, I find it a really helpful system. So yeah, I definitely wanted to put it in there. Yeah, they were talking about the Toast deck uh, in the chat. So, oh, nice. Uh, you're probably familiar with that. Yes, it's right over there. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I have two of them. I love them. Awesome. Well, this has been great for the audience. You see her website flashing at the bottom. Uh, for those in audio, I will have a link on the show notes, as well as the Kickstarters, if you want to support the amazing work that will be created. And yeah, I think uh, we are at the end. And uh, I guess Vance, thanks for you keeping us company and keeping the chat room under control. Hopefully nobody's casting any curses at us. I wonder, <laughs> and I'm not even being facetious. I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I, I had the idea that, you know, um, uh, you know, the magicians cast their spells and do this, but when they're not doing anything, when their conscious mind is doing something else, could it be that our subconscious is busy working magic behind our backs? Our own. No, you might as well ask the yeah. People are wondering: Can AI cast a spell if it has all the tools? <laughs> I mean, that's like the bit. Yeah, the sample back to the samples. But I would say no. But who knows? Uh, we haven't had any uh, Terminator movies where he's using tarot or magic spells yet. So. Yes, is the important <laughs> word. Hey, a program is a spell. <laughs> there, bingo, yeah. bingo. It is indeed. Uh, a sigil, too. Yeah, it's a program. It's mm -hmm. Magic is, I think, spells are programs. Right? Yeah. All right. And Graham, thanks for keeping us company. You, you've been on the show and we've talked about uh, the pyramids, Atlantis, all this stuff. But off the show, we always talk about comic books. So you and I need to have an, uh, our own comic book show in the future. But uh, enjoyed having you two on, my friend. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure with you guys and uh, Briggs. It was just absolutely wonderful. Your artwork's great. You're more wonderful as a person. And to quote the Wild Stallions, be excellent to each other and party on. <laughs> Yes, Briggs, it's been great having you on. Good luck with everything. Uh, yes, okay. I agree with Graham. You're going places, but most important places, you go inward. That's where all the <laughs> treasures are. And uh, <laughs> good advice for everybody. Yes, and good luck with your projects and uh, mm -hmm. with everything. And we hope to have you in the future as you produce more art. That'd be great. Thank you so much for having me. This was delightful. It was fun. All right, audience, thank you for being here. Uh, audio version will be out in a day or two. And as I always say, uh, write your own gospel, live your own myth, and we will see you sooner rather than later. Good night, everyone. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.